Investors are still there. They still have money that they want to spend in great assets, but they're a little bit harder to convince that you are that great asset. And they're a little bit more hesitant to deploy capital. And so the bar is a little bit higher. That was Kelsey McGuire talking about the increased scrutiny that investors are giving companies as economic uncertainty continues to reshape capital markets. As macroeconomic conditions shift, McGuire, who is managing director at Sandbox Industries and Blue Venture Fund, says companies seeking capital must have a solid footing in three key areas. They need a great management team, they must be in a market that has a need, and they have to show that they can be profitable. She and Oliver Wyman's Akshay Argawal dig deeper into the macroeconomics impacting capital markets, as well as the micro trends facing healthcare. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For more insights on the business of transforming healthcare, visit our online publication, health.oliverwyman.com. And now let's pick things up with Akshay asking Kelsey about declining valuations and the potential of a healthcare bubble. So we've seen the bubble burst in healthcare valuations in the last year or two. What do you think that's been caused by? I think it's a a couple of different things. Um, I think there are macroeconomic factors that are impacting nearly all public companies. um, And that then is trickling down into the world of private valuations as well. And so those are just sort of the the realities of the macroeconomic market. I think there are things about healthcare specifically uh, where a lot of, of investor money went towards healthcare in particular sort of in 2020 and 2021 during COVID because it was an area of high growth, high innovation. Um, and I think in some cases that led to very high valuations that were uh, potentially not supported by the business fundamentals or the market fundamentals. And so I think there have been some uh, some of the correction has been sort of writing those uh, large valuations back to a place that makes more sense based on the markets and, and the business models. I think there are places where there's probably overcorrections happening too. You'll see a you know public company that's trading below the amount of cash it has on its balance sheet, where it, j- it just doesn't make sense, and and likely it'll it'll come back up to something more reasonable. Um, but I think those are probably the two primary factors leading to the correction. So Kelsey, when you refer to macroeconomics, what are the factors that you're considering within that? So when I'm talking about macroeconomics, I really just mean things like the inflation rate, you know, war in Ukraine, the cost of debt. I mean, macroeconomic conditions that are impacting all public equities, regardless of whether they're healthcare or not. So like debt getting more expensive. Exactly. And then industry specifics? I was speaking specifically about sort of, I think, business models and, uh, you know, companies that, that may have raised at valuations that were higher than were supported by by those business models. Um, and I think, um, you know, you, you saw that with some of the, the public companies that, that corrected in the last one to two years um, that, you know, they were trading at 30 times multiple of revenue, you know, things that essentially said that, you know, maybe if you actually backed into what what are the investors underwriting, it's, you know, something like 20% of medicine is going to be done online in the future. And I think as folks have seen things stabilize at a much lower percentage than that, the valuations have corrected. And you you mentioned this potentially a pendulum swing, swinging back from low valuations, right? Have you seen that 
playing out in the last few months? Yes, I do think we have seen that. It's been interesting. So I will say it hasn't swung back entirely and on every company. Um, so there's still a lot of investors with capital looking to spend money. And, and I'm speaking to the private market specifically where I spend most of my time. Yeah. Um, and so if you have a really great team, a really big market, and a business model that seems like it can work and make money uh, and be profitable someday, uh, I've actually seen those companies get bid up uh, and be more expensive than they might have been two years ago because everyone's going after the same asset. So while there has been a correction, I will say there are folks that it's not necessarily impacting. But on the whole, uh, I agree that, that valuations have dropped. Um, and I think most of the investors that that I speak with and and th this is the way I feel, is generally relief, um, that it does feel like a pendulum swinging back towards reality. Um, and so the conversations that you're having aren't, how what's the most amount of money I can raise at the highest valuation, but instead, what's the right amount of money for us to raise right now, and what's a, a valuation that feels good for, for where we're sitting. Um, and I think Ultimately, long term, that's going to lead to healthier companies. Yeah, that, that's that's good to know. I mean, we've been involved in a lot of processes that stalled in the in the private markets in the last year, and one of the fundamentals you mentioned were the sort of flight towards quality, right? Of of private investors looking at specific companies and their valuations going higher. So, do you think going forward there's going to be less transactions on the market going forward, where perhaps B grade companies? will not come to the market anymore because they know they're gonna get much lower valuation or there's gonna be much less interest in those types of companies. So I'm gonna maybe speak on two different things. I'll first talk about fundraising from sort of investors and then I'll talk a little bit about M&A. So on the fundraising from investor side, I do think that we will probably see fewer folks going outside their current investor base to go and raise big rounds of capital and you know always raising the next round from the the next new investor I think you know there are probably folks who need to grow into their valuations there are plenty of investors with dry powder that continue to that can continue to prop up companies that they've already invested in and so we're seeing a lot of that and so I do think you'll just see fewer series A series B series C type of announcements um, on the M&A side I you know, we'll see. I actually think there will still be quite a bit of M&A activity, probably less public market, you know, IPO activity. But I actually think there will be quite a bit of consolidation and acquisition of assets that have run out of capital that can be nice tuck-in acquisitions for large strategics. And, you know, the, the fundamentals of healthcare more broadly, aging demographics, increasing costs, tremendous waste, none of that has changed. And so I still think that the Uniteds and CVSs and other folks of the world are going to be looking to, to make acquisitions like they always have. And in fact, now and the next couple of years might be a particularly nice time for them to do it with the market correction and with a bunch of companies actually maybe looking for an exit uh, that that's more palatable now. Yeah. So you've mentioned two things. One is this, let's call it flight to quality of investors looking at specific assets and maybe paying more for those types of assets. Another one is a strong market fundamentals that that company or business models that company may have, right? Do you see, how do you see that playing out in different subsectors of the healthcare market? Because healthcare is such a, a vast market. Um, do you see different segments maybe attracting different types of investments or different levels of investments? So I think 
the most dollars will continue to flow to the largest markets. And so um, I think, you know, huge buckets of spend, you know, uh, conditions that are just, you know, cancer or uh, COPD or conditions where there's still tremendous room for innovation and they're just massive markets or things like primary care. You know, if you add together all of the risk-based providers in primary care and look at what they are as a percentage of sort of overall primary care in the U.S., it's a tiny, tiny fraction. There's still so much to do. And so I think those type of companies will still continue to get a lot of attention and investments. I think companies that are in smaller markets that are maybe going towards more niche conditions, there's still a tremendous amount of opportunity, but I think you'll see less capital flow there. Um, and so I think that'll be a, a, a clear differentiator. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. So I think what I hear you saying is point solutions may attract less investment, but somebody's fundamentally changing the way that healthcare is delivered would attract more. I do think there's opportunity for, for point solutions, but you're probably not going to get valued at $3 billion for doing something that's very specific in a small market. And so they'll have to get priced uh, more rationally so that you know everyone, everyone can do well in that smaller market. If we play that out a little bit, so the, the companies that have these point solutions are, all, are more niche. Before they were attracting huge valuations and were able to raise a huge amount of capital, but now we'll struggle a little bit more to raise that, that type of valuation than cash. Do you think the exits are going to be different uh, going forward? Um, and they'll be more focused on maybe getting bought out by an aggregator or a, or a larger entity? I think definitely. And I think for a long time, before the last two, three years, most healthcare investors were underwriting to, you know, sub-billion dollar type of private company M&A transactions. Um, so an outcome where, you know, you were acquired for $300 million was a great outcome. And I think the wave of IPOs in the industry, um, folks started to potentially underwrite or think about exits differently because all of a sudden, hmm, you know, this point solution, uh, maybe this could be a $3 billion public company. Um, and I think, you know, more and more folks are again, for the more point solution type of investments are going back towards, well, what would, you know, a, a large company acquire this for? What would, what would this get consolidated at? And, um, and thinking about exits in that reference. What should companies be doing differently now compared to a year and a half ago when fundraising or looking to exit? Investors are still there. They still have money that they want to spend in great assets but they're a little bit harder to convince that you are that great asset. And they're a little bit more hesitant to deploy capital. And so the bar is a little bit higher. And so I think those sort of three things that I mentioned before are the three things that you kind of have to convince um, every investor in order to invest in you. The first is that you have a great team. Um, the second is that you have a, a great market. and even if it isn't an enormous market, even if you are sort of tackling something small, why is it a good market? Why are you sort of the best suited to go after it? Um, and how can you conquer it? So how do you make it seem like a really attractive market that you understand well? Um, and then the last piece is on business model. And I think 
maybe this is where the bar has has changed the most. I think two or three years ago, if you sort of picked a hot condition and had some nice logos on your team slide uh, and said you were going to bring value-based care to whatever that was, uh, you could probably get someone to fund you. And now I think people are saying, you know, okay, how? What's the lever you're going to pull? And why should this market be in value-based care? And can you actually have impact on cost and outcomes? And we saw a lot of companies that are quite small raising quite a lot of money. Um, and one thing that surprised me always was there was no sort of product market fit done and people just had a great concepts, right? But it wasn't tested. The concept wasn't tested aggressively in the market. Do you think that's going to change fundamentally where investors will look at sort of the market research done and people actually wanting this product? Having been a, phys a physician myself, a lot of people pitch a lot of ideas and I always felt some of them will never work, but they raised huge amounts of money. So how do you think that dynamic is going to change going forward? And will the investors look for something slightly different? CEOs and other executives with a great track record are still going to be able to command premiums, even if they don't have product market fit, because people are going to sort of uh, take a risk on their track record and say, I, I bet even if this doesn't have product market fit, this gal or guy will figure it out. Or they can create a market that nobody knows right now. Exactly. So I, I, I don't think it will be the case that every company sort of needs to have product market fit before investors will really fund it. But I do think, you know, especially for, for newer entrepreneurs, having proof points around product market fit before you're sort of doing that growth round and really going towards execution, I think that'll that'll be key. People aren't going to give $50 million to someone who you know, you're not sure if people want to use this tool yet. Um, I do think people will wait for those proof points. That's very interesting. So a few closing questions for you. What's exciting you the most in the next 18 months? <laughs> in the next 18 months? Um, I do think there are areas right now where incentives are still so clearly misaligned. And there are very clear, very obvious levers to pull to better align incentives and lead to better care and outcomes. So I'm on the board of a company called Quilted Health, which is in the pregnancy care space. I also have a one-year-old, so I went on this personal journey myself recently. Uh, and that's an idea of product market fit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and as much as I you know, loved my OBGYN, it was just so clear from start to finish how misaligned the incentives are in pregnancy care because she will make more money if there are more interventions in my care. Um, and so, you know, an area like that, pregnancy care, especially given sort of outcomes and costs in the U.S., and especially given that half of the babies born in the U.S. are born on Medicaid, um, there's just so much opportunity to go after that market, align incentives, provide better care, provide earlier inter interventions, and lead to better, healthier outcomes. There's, you know, uh, other areas like um, pediatric behavioral health, for example, that there's just a true dearth of providers and of quality providers, and they might not even need value-based care. They just need more people providing good care. Um, and so how can you how can you impact that market? I think that's another area where, where I'm particularly excited. And then what keeps you up at night? Once you're invested in a company, you're just sort of holding hands and... and 
all working hard on all of the stuff that you need to get done together. Um, you know, I work with the the Blue Cross Blue Shield plans, and in particular, when I invest in companies, um, I try and partner with the plans to drive more growth and contracts and business development with the companies that we invest in. Um, and that can be a you know a multi year process. And so you know, oftentimes what what keeps me up at night is just how can we make things move faster? How can we get that you know risk based contract over the finish line? Um, how can we make sure that when it is we're executing on it successfully? It's interesting you say that, considering the backdrop of the macroeconomic environment, that you know your fundamental belief is if you have the business model right and the company's doing the right thing, there's enough capital out there for for transactions to happen. Right, so it's about getting that business model right and driving growth within that company, rather than focusing too much on the external environment, because there's always going to be demand for healthcare, of good healthcare companies. Totally, and I mean there are always acute situations. If you're working with a company that's going to run out of cash, that's a problem you have to solve. Um, but in general, I think that the 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 fundamental market business and even emotional <laughs> reasons why we all invest in healthcare are still true. And there's, you know, there's the macroeconomic environment, but then there's the macro healthcare environment of just the demographic shift in the United States and, and the amount of waste that is out there. And none of that has changed. And there's just so much opportunity. And so I think people will continue to invest in healthcare. I think great companies will continue to get funding. Macroeconomic versus macro healthcare, right? That is, that's a good concept to think about when you're looking at healthcare companies. Exactly. And in some ways, you're distracted if you're spending too much time looking at the Teladoc stock instead of looking at the percentage of our population that's going to be over 65 in five years. Um, you know, you're sort of missing the, missing the point a little bit. Um, and I think most investors are still you know, looking towards, okay, how do we solve these really, really big problems and not overly focused on the day-to-days of the stock exchange. Kelsey, thank you for your time. That was absolutely fantastic. I think the biggest thing for me was looking at these companies rather from a macroeconomic viewpoint, but to a macro healthcare viewpoint and how to make that work. So really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For more insights on the business of transforming healthcare, visit our online publication, health.oliverwyman.com.